I've been doing a series called The Enviable Life. It's a series about the Beatitudes. And I called it The Enviable Life because in every Beatitude that Jesus spoke, He said, Blessed. And the word blessed is the word karyos, and it means to um, be blessed, to be envied, to be happy, to be supremely blessed, to be fortunate, and to be well off. The Beatitudes. Our attitudes and lifestyles that will instantly catch God's eye and God's attention and command a blessing. Jesus spoke these Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a series of blessings that Jesus declared on people who manifested attitudes that are in sync with the attitudes and the lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven. You see, sometimes we think we're on earth and heaven doesn't notice. You start living in ways that are contrary to how the typical human being responds. And you start living in a grueling, rough, and tough, grubby world, but by divine principles. And heaven will hear every footstep you take And God, your Father, will command a blessing on you. Dead fish go with the flow. But sons of God swim easily against the tide. Absolutely. The Beatitudes are the best attitudes that one can have. The Beatitudes are the B-attitudes. These are attitudes we want to be. Last week, I preached on, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And every week, I take that beatitude and break it down and rewrite it, simply put. And I've been calling it simply put. And last week, simply put, this is what we found. Blessed and to be envied, fortunate and supremely blessed are those who genuinely live in a way that shows love, honor, and respect for God and never wants to hurt Him and then goes on to live that way both towards their fellow man and themselves. Those who do this will gorge themselves on the rich and abundant blessings that come from God. How many of you want to gorge yourself on the blessings that come from God? Amen. You know, when we hear something like this, there can be two motivations. One motivation is, oh, here's another key to me getting blessed. There's good, there's better, and there's best. You want to hear the best? We could hear these beatitudes and hear the blessings that come with them and we can say, hey dad, because of everything you've done for me, because I start at the finish line and I am all that in Jesus Christ, I want to live like that every day. Amen. That becomes our, our motivation. In Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 7, the next beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now, I want to take this somewhere today that goes far beyond even the obvious. God started to speak to me. I've preached on the principle of mercy in the past. But God started to show me something, Sandy, uh, that really had quite a twist. And uh, we're going to build up to it in just a moment. The word mercy comes from the Greek word eleiemon. And it means to show compassion and to have mercy. Mercy is the byproduct of grace. Mercy is a byproduct of grace. Do we have that slide, Matt? We don't. Mercy is the byproduct of grace. You can't show mercy unless you're willing to walk in grace and be a gracious person. Grace is the byproduct of compassion. You know what compassion is? Compassion is passion in action to the community. Compassion is passion in action to the community. You're my community. You're my community. You're my community. You're my community. Compassion is living passionately in an active way towards everyone who is my neighbor, my community. Grace is the byproduct of compassion, and compassion is the byproduct of love. Mercy is God's amazing grace in action. How many of you have ever had God's mercy shown on you? Come on. Mercy is God's amazing grace in action. I had a, a, a music video that I was hoping to play today, but unfortunately, we don't have it. Um, <clears throat> the, the team gets overwhelmed with stuff on a Sunday morning. But you've all heard of the band Mercy Me. And they have an official video, music video, for the song Flawless. And they start the video, and the whole band is got, it looks like they got mud on them. They're splashed, they're dirty, then they're playing away, and it's in their beards, it's in their hair, and uh, they start singing this song called Flawless, and they're just absolutely filthy. And as they're singing, and you listen to the lyrics, and you watch the effects on the screen, they start to talk about God's grace sees us as flawless, and Little by little, as the song progresses, all the paint, all the mud, all the gunk that was thrown on them, it's being played in reverse, and line by line, you're watching more and more of the gunk come off of them until finally they end the song the way they started the song, even though you don't see it. Everyone's dressed in white. All the microphones are white. The stands are white. The drums are white. And here they are, because of God's grace and mercy, we are flawless. Powerful imagery. Powerful imagery. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and set free. Our record is cleansed. We're given a position, and we are given 
the power of his righteousness. Now I say all that to go on and say this. We often think of mercy in terms of the big things. That we need to be merciful to people who have devastated our lives. We think of mercy in terms of the big things. Um, There's a parable that Jesus used called uh, the unforgiving servant. How many of you are familiar with the unforgiving servant? All right? If, If you were to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 23 to 35, you're going to see a story where Jesus says there was a king, and he was settling his accounts, his ledgers, and uh, just squaring away who owed him what, balancing his books. And he came across a servant, a man, who owed him a thousand bags of gold. And he called him in and he threatened to throw the man in jail because he had not paid his debts. And the man falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. He says, please have mercy, have mercy, uh, spare me, you know. Uh, and, and the king was going to throw him and his, his wife and his son, his sons into prison until finally he was paid. And this king of the kingdom showed mercy and forgave him his debt. The man gets up, walks outside of the king's uh, uh, presence, And as he's walking down the street, he finds a a fellow citizen who owed him a hundred bags of silver. And he pounces on this guy. None of us would ever do this. He starts choking him and berating him with words and says, hey, you owe me a hundred bags of silver. When are you going to pay up? And the guy's crying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Just give me some time. And, And the man says, forget that. You owe me this money. I'm throwing you in jail. And he called the authorities and had him thrown in jail. Well, there was quite a spectacle, and you know the story. Some of the people rumored about it, talked about it, and it made its way back to the king. And when the king heard that the same man that he had forgiven a debt of 1,000 bags of gold sent a fellow to jail because he owed him only 100 bags of silver, he says, I want to see that man again. The man comes before Jesus. Now remember, Jesus made up this parable, and Jesus is God. And he told us this story because it runs parallel with principles of the kingdom of God. So this is a principle in action, a principle being told out in a story. And if we were to look at the key verse of this, in verse 33, it says... The king has him in front of him, and he says, Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant the same way I had mercy on you? Who here hasn't been forgiven of a great debt from God? Anybody here who has not been forgiven? I want to see who I'm believing for to get saved at the end of the service. If we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, every one of us have been forgiven a tremendous debt. 
The Bible says that our sin and our rebellion and the wickedness of our heart would have brought us to a place of judgment and to a place of, of eternal punishment. But God said, I don't want that for my creation. And he stepped in and he paid the price and died on the cross. And so here in verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Verse 34 tells us the consequence. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then verse 35, and we're all thinking, well, that's just a story. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. You see, when we choose to walk outside of God's divine principles, we also walk outside of his covering. And when we walk in a vacuum of God's covering, something will always fill the vacuum. And the Bible take, tells us very clearly that demons, we have given demons the right to come and torment us because of our lack of forgiveness, our lack of mercy. Now, when we forgive people of horrendous things, and there are some of you right now that would be grappling with this thought, forgiveness doesn't mean we're saying, it's okay, everything you did is acceptable. No, it's not acceptable. Forgiveness doesn't mean I totally and emphatically trust you and bring you back into that sensitive area of my life. No, sir. There's, there's a vast difference between forgiveness and trust. We forgive graciously and freely because we have been forgiven of equally horrendous things in God's eyes. But trust is different than forgiveness trust is the type of thing that has to be rebuilt and earned forgiveness and grace you can't earn it we could spend a lifetime trying to do good things to un undo or outweigh our bad things it'll never happen it'll never happen because without the grace of God on my life, two to one, I will do two bad things for every one good thing I try to do. I can only do good because of Christ in me. But outside of God's grace, no matter how hard I try to <clears throat> surpass all of my bad deeds, I'll just keep digging a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. Until I come to the place like in Romans 7 and I get a revelation, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I need a Savior. And when we come to that Savior, He not only forgives us and washes our rap sheet and takes away our record, He gives us a position of righteousness and He gives us the power of God's righteous nature as well. And everybody said, amen. That's what He did. That's what He did. That's what he did. But we forgive in tragic and horrendous situations because the same way God showed us mercy, we want to show others mercy. Not because they've earned it. Not because they've deserved it. 
because I didn't earn it and I didn't deserve it. But because of God could forgive me and he's perfect and never done wrong, I'm not perfect. I'm like the guy I'm angry at. Who am I to take a superior seat of judgment than him and hold back on mercy and grace? Can I get an amen? amen. Now here's where the twist comes. I call this here the parable of the unforgiving forgiven. It's often referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. But this servant wasn't just a servant, he was forgiven. And I call it the parable of the unforgiven, unforgiving forgiven. You don't want to be the unforgiving forgiven because the principle is the unforgiving forgiven becomes the tortured unforgiving forgiven. Are you there? But this sermon's not about the obvious. It's not about the grandiose. It's not about the horrendous and the huge things. We've heard sermons on those lines many times. But you know, the closer you get to God, the more he wants to fine-tune your life. And God started to talk to me about something I never saw. And this is what he said. He said, we're starting to get hold of the concept of showing mercy to people who've done horrendous things to us, and we, and we grapple with it. But nonetheless, we are merciless every day in everyday situations. And when that thought came to me, I thought, how is that? And this is what I wrote. We are we're merciless in little things every day, and in so doing, we're guilty of murder every day. Now look at the person next to you. Go on, look at the person next to you. You're sitting next to a murderer. And turn and look on the other side. Go on, turn and look on the other side. You're sitting next to a murderer. Now look behind you. You're sitting next to a murderer. How are we murderers? Do you know that character assassination is murder? Character assassination is murder. I want us to, for a moment, talk about an environment, a scenario, if mercy doesn't rule, and the title of my message is this, when mercy doesn't rule, oh, mercy me. Okay? When mercy doesn't rule, here we go. Are you ready? This is where we're going to really get into our business. Are you ready? I got the time against me. I got the crowd against me. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. When mercy doesn't rule, someone may 
look at us the wrong way. Our perspective. He looked at me the wrong way. He's angry at me. He, he looked at me because I'm Italian. He looked at me because I'm white. He looked at me like that because I'm black. He looked at me like that because I'm Puerto Rican. He looked at me like that because he just doesn't like me, irrespective of color and race. My perspective. When mercy doesn't rule, someone may say something to us the wrong way from our perspective. And when mercy doesn't rule, someone may act towards us the wrong way from our perspective. This happens when mercy doesn't rule. You see, when mercy doesn't rule, perspective is often a one-sided opinion that doesn't allow for other viewpoints and it's treated like it's a fact. Do we have that slide? When mercy doesn't rule, perspective is often treated is often a one-sided opinion that doesn't allow for other viewpoints and it's treated like a fact. Here we go. Have we all got that under our belt? Let's move forward. When mercy doesn't rule, perspective is often based on two things or one of two things. Number one, unsubstantiated things we've heard. Unsubstantiated things we've heard. And number two, when mercy doesn't rule, perspective is often based on hurts and wounds and the inconclusive conclusions we come to about people and life as a result of the traumas we've experienced. Are you all hearing me? Here's the problem. When mercy doesn't rule, we all have a hearing in our head based on our perspective. And the problem with having a hearing in our head based on our perspective is that it's a closed court. In a closed court, you're the prosecutor, you're the jury, and you're the judge. When mercy doesn't rule, we leave the other person's defense attorney outside the doors of the closed court. Now I'm talking to you about everyday stuff because we all do this and it happens every day. The spirit of offense is constantly looking for an opportunity to sit on our shoulder and say, Omar just looked at me in a funny way. I know that look. I've seen that look before. We were in church and he gave me the eye. I saw that look. Don't, don't, don't shake your head. I saw it just now. 
See, when mercy doesn't rule in my heart, condemnation will, judgment will, offense will. And this nation right now is riddled with the spirit of offense. It's not politics, it's the spirit of offense. We give offense and we take offense and the church is becoming full of offense. Can I tell you that the fall of mankind would not have happened in the Garden of Eden if Adam and Eve didn't believe the lie and take offense at God? Yes, yeah. You see, the spirit of offense is the door opener to our wreck and ruin. The spirit of offense is your enemy, and many times we don't recognize it as our enemy. Offense isn't a situation. Offense isn't a circumstance. Offense is first and foremost a spirit. When mercy doesn't rule, we'll have a hearing, a court case in our head. Based on our perspective, it'll be a closed court, and we're the prosecutor, we're the jury, and we're the judge. And the other person doesn't stand a chance because they don't even know there's a court case going on. They don't even know you've got them seated in that seat. And based on your past and your hurts and the traumas you've experienced, and I'm not trying to minimize them, I'm not trying to wipe them away, I'm not trying to hide them, I'm not trying to belittle you for having them, but what I'm saying is that the enemy put those hurts in our lives so that we will see out of those hurts, we'll hear out of those hurts, and we will react out of those hurts, and we will take everybody down so that nobody can take us down. When mercy doesn't rule, mercy me. When mercy doesn't rule, the defense attorney's outside the doors of the closed court, and here's the verdict. We, sense, we sentence that person to the perception that we concluded in our own minds. The result, in our minds, we've assassinated their character with misinformation. Do you know what misinformation is? When you don't do your due diligence to get all the facts, you know what misinformation is? If anyone can give you misinformation innocently, when you don't do your due diligence. Somebody comes to you and they want to, pardon the expression, I think we're all grown-ups here. They want to pee in your ear. And you don't take the responsibility to search out the facts because it's inconvenient. You know, in the book of Proverbs it says this, gossip is sweet in our mouth. But when we swallow it, it's bitter in our belly. 
Do you know what misinformation is when we don't do our due diligence to really seek out the truth and bring the other person into the courtroom and ask them, what did you mean? Did you mean anything by that? When we don't do our due diligence as born-again, blood-washed Christians who have experienced the mercy of God, misinformation becomes a lie. So in our minds, the result is in our minds, we've assassinated Omar's character. We've assassinated his character with misinformation. In my mind, it's a closed case. Anybody who wears a black jacket, has a beard, and combs his hair like that and keeps nodding when I'm preaching, they're bad. Here's the problem. The spirit that all of that is conceived in, in our closed courtroom up here, the spirit that all of that is conceived in loves misinformation because it's the spirit that is the anti of the truth. It's not the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of lies. And it loves. Don't, don't tell me that wrong spirits don't get around you. They get around me. I have to tell them to back off. i got to tell them to shut off. I've got to take accountability. There are things in my life I have to regularly pull into order. Don't play goody two-shoes with me. You're just like me. And I'm just like you. Most of us is the rest of us. So the problem is that the spirit that all that was conceived in, it loves misinformation. Here's the multiplier. Anybody ever play the power, power ball? There's a little multiplier box. You take that, right? You increase your chances. Here's, here's the multiplier. The spirit of misinformation loves to pass on information. Are you getting this? It's called gossip. When you haven't bothered to include the other person, Omar, I was preaching the other day, and you were like giving me the devil eyes. He says, really? Oh, that's, yeah, there was a, a, a fly buzzing around, and it, it hit me in the eye, and I'm going like this here. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But if I don't ask him, I never know. Omar, what, what was in your heart when you said this, this, and this? I took offense, but maybe I was only taking offense. What, what, what did you mean, bro? I've just brought him into the court case and gave him a hearing and gave him an opportunity to speak. I think Jesus said to do stuff like that if your brother has ought against you, or if you have ought against your brother, go to them. Open up the courtroom so that mercy and grace can take the stand. Amen. 
You see, the spirit of misinformation loves to pass on its information. It's called gossip. I, I, I have a court case about you. I come to a conclusion you didn't even have an attorney present. You don't even know this is going on. And I'm so mad at you. I'm angry. I am because you were angry at me. I saw the way you looked at me. And here I am. I'm angry at the guy that I'm accusing of being angry at me. He doesn't even know I'm angry. I didn't even bring him to the party. The spirit of misinformation loves to pass on its information. It's called gossip. Gossip is when we go and get others to sip on the same poison we've been sipping on. You see, we, we've prettied up the word. We call it tabloids. Oh, I like reading those tabloids. I go to public, and when I'm getting my food, my shopping, all the tabloids are there, and oh, I just love reading that stuff. Can I tell you something? This is not in indicative of where I stand politically. But if you think that the news is always portraying everything in all honesty with all the facts all the time, think again. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. The mere fact that men, you know, in marriage counseling, we talk about men. Men, men are headliners. They read the headlines. Women are the fine details. So you know what the news does? Because... Sometimes it's not the spirit of truth. And I'm not taking a political side, so stop having a closed court in your head right now about where I'm coming from. But I can write headlines to get your attention, and it can be misleading if you don't read the fine print. And guess what? We don't always read the fine print because we don't have time sometimes. And the human nature part of us that's broken will jump to conclusions and it'll press buttons that we can relate to that are hot spots, that are broken spots in our life, and we just go straight to court in our head. Hang on a second. You all can take a rest for a moment. Good preaching, Pastor Rock. Thank you. This is not a politically geared sermon. Please don't have a closed court moment. I'm talking about everyday life. And we do this stuff all the time. And I really believe that God's calling his church to higher ground. Come on. Gossip is when we go and get others to sit on the same poison we've been sipping on. Now here's the principle, and I'm coming to the end here. Here's the principle. When mercy doesn't rule, when mercy doesn't rule, the unforgiving forgiven becomes the tortured unforgiving forgiven. If that's the principle, then don't you think 
the enemy is going to rely and trigger every wound from your past to call you into a closed court about Omar, about Patrice, about Linda, about Carol, about somebody who's a little different than you because he knows that if the forgiven are unforgiving, it gives him the right to be their torturer. You see, we think about mercy in terms of the big things. And some of us have got some big things that people have done to us. And we need to learn how to somehow, by the grace of God, cross that bridge. But every one of us face these little everyday situations. And the enemy trips us up by our our wounds and our scars and our perceptions and the things that mommy and daddy taught me when I was a little boy. And we look at life through a one-opinion perspective, and we treat it as fact. And we have a closed court in our head, and we come to conclusions, and then we assassinate a person's character in our mind and in our heart, and we start to avoid them. And if we really let that spirit have its way in us, then we start taking that misinformation and we share that information with others and multiply the opportunity for others to take offense and not seek out the truth and not show mercy so that a demon has the right to sit on their shoulder too. When you gossip, when you pass on, information you have not validated, when you pass on feelings that are not substantiated, when you have a court case and you haven't gone to your brother to find out, you don't have the right to talk. And when you do, not only have you swallowed poison, you are now, in a very subtle way, becoming an agent of Satan so that you open up your best friend to the opportunity of taking your offense. And because they want to be loyal to you, they want to stand with you, and they're going to get offended for you. And but without you even realizing it, you just gave them the opportunity to open a door so a tormentor can sit on their shoulders. We're going to get to it in a week or two, a couple of weeks. But I think Jesus said in the Beatitude, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as sons of God. You know who they're going to be known as sons of God to, first and foremost? The demonic world. Because peacemakers are forever putting out the fires. Lord, it's gotten really quiet in here. Luke chapter 6, 36 to 38, Jesus said, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn, 
and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given unto you. How many have ever heard that part of the verse? Give, and when do we normally hear it? Come on, let's be honest. When do we normally hear it? Offering time. Let's look at the context. The context here is mercy, not judging, not condemning, and forgiving. So in that context, what are we supposed to give? Give mercy, give grace, give favor, give forgiveness, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we conclude with Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus said that again and again in different ways. Simply put, happy, blessed, to be envied, supremely blessed, fortunate, and well off are those that remember they are forgiven because of God's grace and mercy. And they go through life judging others with the same spirit and the same heart that God judged them. For they shall receive mercy, grace, favor, forgiveness, pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over the place. I think we could all say ouch. Come on, church. God wants to fine-tune his kids because the voices out there are dark. But the voices that are in his house should be full of light and should be full of hope. And they should be full of Christ-like virtues. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's be different. We get afraid of people that are different than us. Stop it. Come on. Don't let fear speak to you. Don't let rejection speak to you. Don't let your past speak to you. Don't let your mama and your papa talk to you. Come on. There are things that we learn through our family culture. Forget about ethnic culture, our family, the family of Rob Scarallo, the family of Joe Brown. There are things that we learn in our family culture that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And everything that doesn't line up with the Word of God, I don't care if Papa Scarallo taught it to me, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, I have to throw that out, out with the old, because it is a doorway to open darkness in my life. And I must align myself with the Word of God and the Word of God only. If you believe that, give the Lord an amen. The Beatitudes. It's a lifestyle of thinking. It's a lifestyle of heart attitudes. And no wonder Jesus said, blessed are, blah, blah, blah. Blessed are, blah, blah, blah. He's saying to fortunate, enviable, well-off, favored 
are people who act like this, who think like this, who do this, who do that. Church, when we start to live like sons of God, we've shut all the doors and all the legal rights that the enemy tries to get back on us. You've been set free. Don't be encumbered again into bondage. You've been set free from the kingdom of darkness. Don't open the back door and shake their hand. We have been redeemed, not with corruptible things, but incorruptible things, the blood of Jesus Christ. Once I was, but today I am. I am a son of God. I am changed. I can't make God love me more. I start at the finish line. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And I'm not trying to become righteous. I start at the finish line. I already am. But because I am that I am, I'm going to be who he says I am. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Sometimes we come to church and we need a word that'll just lift us up. And it's great to have foot stomping, chairs rattling, jumping, voice shouting, hand clapping sermons. But it's also good to have sermons that help us be real and honest. You see, I love this thing called the church. It's made up of beautifully broken people whom God values tremendously. And as we keep walking in the light, as He is in the light, He will bring to light the areas of us that have been touched by darkness and keep setting us free. Oh, I start at the finish line. I already am the apple of His eye. I'm already His beloved. I'm not trying to earn stripes or gain approval. I can't be loved more than I'm loved right now. Even when I make a silly decision and fall on my face, I'm a son. He loves me. But as a son, I'm so proud of my daddy. I love him. And I want to be everything he says I am. I want to be the reflection and the fullness of Jesus. And when I'm not, I stand on that finish line and I thank you, God. I'm glad you fill in the gaps with your righteousness. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Amen. Can I ask you to let the Holy Spirit challenge you all week? In fact, can I ask you to let the Holy Spirit challenge you your whole life? The Beatitudes. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm already righteous by Christ. That's right. And blessed are those who are famished and hungry for a steak with shrimp and butter, garlic. Blessed are those who hunger 
to never hurt God, never hurt his fellow man, and never hurt himself. Because as we honor and love those three, we walk in divine light. Amen? So, I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone. There's somebody who looks different than you, probably within 10 feet of you. Probably someone who's got a different shade than this shady guy here, Omar. He's new to the church, and I'm picking on him already. There's probably somebody not far from you, a different color, a different culture. Are we going to keep living from what we've been told? Are we going to live from who we are in Christ? I'm not asking you to become that person's next best friend. I am going to ask you to act on your faith and just turn around and say hello to somebody. Somebody you don't know, somebody a little different than you. Just right now, go on, turn around and say hello to somebody. Hey, dude. Hi. How are you? Good. What's your name? Vladimir. Vladimir. God bless you. All right. Nice to meet you. God bless you. I'm Rob. What's your name? Alina. Alina. God bless you guys. Great to have you here. Amen. Now, did anyone fall out of their tree because that was really hard? Come on. Come on. This isn't something we go to. This is who we are. And if we can't be family in here, God help us all over again. The church of Jesus Christ has got to get a revelation. We have become religious. I don't care how contemporary our music is, we've become religious. If we're not radical, we've become religious. When your Christianity is convenient and nice, you're right on the edge of having a religious spirit. We need to be revolutionary. The world is so dark. If we're not revolutionary, we're like them. Did you get that? They are so dark that if we're not revolutionary, we're like them. If i got to live in this darn place, I'm going to shake it up. If i got to spend another 10 years here, I'm going to make the devil pay for it. Come on. We have a debt, and that is to love one another in Christ. And not just the guy who treats you right or the girl who agrees with you. Who's your neighbor? That Samaritan person that we Jews don't like, that person of another color, that person who's got a different political view than me. Don't let politics. Politics comes from a party spirit. And while ever there is a party spirit, you'll never have unity in the house of God. We are first and foremost sons of the Most High. And it's us who can change the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
before you go. If you haven't asked Jesus in your heart, this is the most important thing. You can't start at the finish line until you come to the finish line. And it's the cross of Jesus at the finish line. Religion won't save you. My church won't save you. When I say my church, the place where I pastor, that's what I mean. I don't own this. The name grace and faith won't save you, but the name Jesus will. Every eye closed. Come on. If you're not right with God, if you haven't come to this place, if you've walked away, come on, let's not be proud. Let's not be arrogant. Let's not be foolish. We're all the same here. Put your hand up if you need to let Jesus come into your heart. Say, I want to accept Christ. I want to get right with God. Come on, put your hand up right now. If that's you, let Jesus come into your heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, it's time to come home. It's time to make a stand. It's time to let the blood of Jesus flow through you. Okay. How many of you were convicted this morning? Put your hand up. Now, Holy Spirit, what you have begun, take it further. Work in our heads, work in our hearts, work in our emotions, work in our hurts. Come, Father. I need you, church. I need you to agree. You're going to let things go. You've got to let things go. As God showed you mercy, you've got to show mercy. Let it heal. Let it go. You're not, you're not vindicating the person who did you wrong. You're just saying, hey, you know what? I'm as much of a bonehead without Jesus in my heart. And if God will forgive me, I can at least say, God, forgive them too. Amen. Now, Father, I know that there can be some really deep hurts here. And I know that this sermon can ruffle feathers. But God, you're not out to ruffle us up. You're out to love us and heal us. So come, Holy Spirit. Go with them as they go. And keep preaching. And keep healing and keep touching. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me speak into your life. Sign up for, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Go to raisethedeadnow.com raisethedeadnow.com and sign up for Saturday. Sign up. Let's get ready for a revival. Sign up. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. Be blessed, be blessed, be blessed. In Jesus' name.